Welcome to Tube Talk, the show dedicated to helping you become a better video creator so you can get more views, subscribers, and build your audience. Brought to you by vidIQ. Download for free at vidIQ.com. Oh, yeah! Welcome back to Tube Talk, presented by vidIQ. I am your host, Viper, the man about tech, executive producer of social media here at the IQ. And you know what? I know a lot of you all who listen to this podcast, you are either just starting out on your creator journey, or maybe you're even well into maybe six months to a year. But I think most of y'all are in the very beginning. So you are at the stage of your creator journey where you're out there, you are putting out content, but you may or may not be getting the views. Maybe you're thinking about quitting or not pursuing it further because you're not getting the results that you feel like you should get. If you have heard the sound of my voice at any point over the last few years, you know what I'm going to tell you. We don't quit at halftime. So shout out to my friend, Rebecca MC, who has been a guest on the podcast before. She put out a tweet recently on Twitter and she was talking about how she ended up being on Tube Talk. You know, she talked about how, you know, she kind of was thinking about how maybe uh, she was just out there putting out content, but she didn't think she would ever be on the podcast. But I noticed her. I noticed how actively she was involved in the community. I noticed her content. And then I initially, um, I reached out to her and I asked her to be a guest on the podcast. So it goes back to that thing that I tell you all the time. You never know who's watching you. And I need all of my newer creators who are in the struggle. You are in the trenches. You're trying to grind and put out your content, but you're not feeling appreciated because you're not getting the views. You're not getting the sub and you're just down on yourself, I need you to listen to the sound of my voice right now. Because I'm going to tell you again, you never know who is watching you. And why is this so important? Because as you've heard me say before, it literally only takes one view, one person to potentially change your entire life, change the entire trajectory of your YouTube channel. It only takes one. But until you get to that point, I'm going to talk to a good friend of ours here. Ashley, today's guest is now the chief creator coach here at vidIQ. That's right. We got Tim Schmoyer coming to the podcast in a moment. And of course, you know, we're going to talk about all things YouTube and understanding how the platform works and the algorithm and how to get your videos recommended and all of the juicy goodness that comes with being the best possible YouTube creator that you can be. So, I think I've talked enough. Let's bring in Tim, and let's roll to the podcast. Welcome back to Tube Talk, presented by vidIQ. Appreciate you all listening to another episode. And this week, very special guest is a fellow colleague of mine. He's been around the YouTube space forever. He is now vidIQ chief creator coach. Let me introduce Tim Schmoyer to the podcast. Hey, Tim, how you doing, sir? Hey, I need to go on tour with you. Have you be like my intro, man? That was good. All the energy. Love it. Let me Thanks know, man. Let me, me know. What's going on, man? <laughs> Everything going on okay with you today? Oh, yeah. It's another another fun day of figuring out how to serve creators better with coaching and AI coaching and gaming coaching and all that good stuff. So, yeah, it's been, it's been fun. Awesome, man. We're going to get into all that. So, here's the thing. Normally, for first-time guests on the podcast, I ask them uh, what brought them to YouTube, but you're not really a first-time guest on the podcast. 
I learned from you back in March that you used to host this podcast, which I had no idea until you told me that. I was a co-host, yeah, back when a guy named Dane Golden started it. And it's passed hands a few times since then. Uh, I bowed out years ago, but here I am back on Tube Talk. So this is a like full circle moment for me. Isn't so thanks really, for having me. Isn't the real kind of, kind of meta, <laughs> if you think yeah. about it. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, you know what? I will ask you anyway. I know you've been on YouTube forever, but initially, originally, what brought you to YouTube? I first discovered YouTube when I was uh, I was blogging at the time. This is pre-Facebook days, 2004, 2005. And um, I, I had started my own website, blogging on it. Just the way we use Facebook today, I was just writing about what I was doing, personal updates, right? And uh, I bumped into this thing called YouTube where you could upload a video and there was no buffering. You could just click play and it would play right away using this technology called Flash. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this is amazing. And so I started watching different videos there and bumped into content that, you know, just like prank content was big. And anyway, I was just immersed in this platform. And then I was like, what if I just, like they had this embed code you could do. I was like, what if I just made a video of what I was doing today rather than writing about it on my blog and then emailing it to my friends and family? What if I just, because I was halfway across the country at that point in grad school. So I started making videos that today would be known as vlogs, but back then that wasn't a word. I was just going out with my girlfriend, being awkward in public with the camera, and we would post those videos on YouTube and then I would email a link, the YouTube link to my friends and family instead. I'm like, hey, look, you can actually watch it rather than just read about it. And then other people started watching and I was getting a little freaked out because in my space days, you don't use your real name on the internet. If you do, people will hunt you down and kill you for some reason, which was everything I was hearing from traditional media. So I started getting a little concerned, like who is Catlicker72 and why do they keep commenting on my videos, right? Like, should, should I be doing concerned about this? And so I started trying to figure out how does YouTube work? How are these people finding me? Where are they coming from? Why do they keep coming back? And at that time, this is about 2006 now, no one knew the answers to any of those types of questions. And so I was trying to figure them out. And before long, in 2011, my girlfriend and I, we ended up getting married. We kept making videos of our dating, of our engagement, of our wedding, our honeymoon, our first job. We kept making those videos, reaching about a million people a month. And other people are like, how are you doing that? And I was like, this is what I think is going on. So in 2011, I started teaching other creators of, of how, how to reproduce the results that we were seeing. In 2013, I started my own agency doing it. And then in 2022, VidIQ bought that agency. And now you and I get to hang out here. So I skipped a decade pretty quickly there, but that's how I got started. <laughs> that is quite the journey, man, from, from how you began to where you are now. So that is pretty interesting. So yeah. that brings up an interesting perspective, which you have. Talk to us, in your opinion, about the evolution of YouTube from the time that you first came on the platform until now, because I'm pretty sure it is drastically different today oh from the gosh. YouTube you knew back when. I remember before the subscribe button was a thing. <gasps> wow. Yeah. And it used to be yellow and brown when it first came out, mm. actually. Uh, but yeah. So when I first started on YouTube, the YouTube community, like that phrase meant something different back then. Back then in 2006, 2007, eight, everyone who was a creator and was taking it seriously knew everyone else who was a creator. It was just like one community. And I remember there started being meetups in Philadelphia and some of these people who really became really big then 
there was no money. There was no partner program. Um, you had to bookmark the channel if you wanted to come back to it. The homepage was manually curated by hand by people at YouTube, right? There's no algorithms or anything. And it was just people like expressing themselves online and finding community with people who enjoyed each other's content. Collaborations were natural. And then the partner program came along and that's when a lot of, I, I was one of the first people in the, it was back when it was invite only by YouTube, invited into it. And that changed the dynamic pretty considerably, not at first. Uh, the spirit behind it was positive, which was how do we support creators so that they can continue to make content here? Like they're making this platform successful for us. Shouldn't we help make them successful too? And so I, the heart behind it was in the right place. But it changed the heart of a lot of creators and brought in a lot of people who are motivated by other things. And I'm not here to say whether that's bad or good. I think overall, it's done a lot of good for the platform. But as soon as you introduce money to any dynamic relationship, it just changes, right? Yeah. You know. And so then people started coming in and uh, yeah, it kind of grew from there. And so I guess I think about the, for the early days of YouTube, I think about it like the good old days when it was driven by pure motives and good relationships and people who just wanted to share. And that was like community was really the only motivation because that was the only motivation that existed. So th those were good, sweet days. Now, these are good days too. They're just very different than they were then, right? That's all. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I can imagine. So I know a lot of times when we uh we ask people why they started a YouTube channel, why they're on YouTube today in 2023, a lot of times it's because they want to monetize their channel, make money per mm -hmm, se. So mm -hmm. the motivations and the goals are very different, obviously. But I still feel like there's a group of creators out there do, that are doing it for the love and the passion. Sure. And those, yeah. and those who are successful, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes you start to, with the love and the passion and it gradually grows into a business. So, mm -hmm. and I know along your path, you've helped a lot of creators turn that passion into a legitimate business. So that's pretty cool. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the business side is what makes it, uh, for a lot of people, sustainable. It's certainly allowed a lot of creators to level up the type of content that they make, uh, the professionalism of YouTube, which oh, actually, yeah, another big phase YouTube went through is it was all cat videos and copyrighted material and no one took it seriously. And so YouTube worked pretty hard with their originals program and they took a couple swings at that and definitely struck out on some tactics with trying to get uh, celebrities to start channels and bringing television oh, media yeah. personalities, YouTube and all that really fell flat. It was always the homegrown creators yep. on YouTube who end up performing the best. And that's still the case today uh, for a lot of different reasons. But but yeah, it's, it's, it's a different program now. And the partner program has allowed a lot of people to level up their content and bring a lot of professionalism to the platform. And so, it, like I said, it was a good move overall, but money just changes things. And I'm not here to say it was bad or good. It was just different. And I think I just remember what YouTube, uh, some days of YouTube that most people that are on the platform now never experienced. That's all. So giving a little glimpse into that. No, no doubt. And I appreciate it. So being that you've been around the faith for so long and you are a well-known YouTube educator, you have had various opportunities to speak at these conferences. I mean, we've talked at conferences like VidSummit. Uh, mm -hmm. Recently, we were at Social Media Marketing World back in March. So I've been to a few of your talks. And something Thank that you. you said, of course. I told you, we got to go on the road together. Well, of course. Are, it looks like we're already doing it. Yeah, oh, Seriously. <laughs> I'll see you in Texas you later on. Yeah. <laughs> something that I've heard you say repeatedly in your talk, I kind of want you to break down for my listeners because I feel like if they understand this, they'll have a better chance of succeeding on YouTube. And the thing okay. that you have said on multiple occasions as it relates to the YouTube algorithm, and I believe that you said the YouTube algorithm's job or YouTube's job in general is to find the right video for the right person 
at the right time. I'm going to repeat that for the people in the back. The job (laughs) of YouTube is to find the right video for the right person at the right time. Can you please elaborate on that, sir? Yeah. So that that statement is in the context of helping people understand YouTube's algorithms. And it's plural. There's thousands of algorithms that all work together. And ultimately, what is it it trying to accomplish? Because if we can understand what YouTube's trying to accomplish and we can craft our content to help YouTube accomplish what they're trying to accomplish, then our videos are more likely to be favored in search and recommendations and home and places like that. Because YouTube's like, hey, this is what we're trying to do. And this video is doing that thing very well. So I think it's really important that we understand at a high level what the goal of the algorithm is. And that's what we call it, the algorithm. YouTube calls it the search and discovery system. I try to use that language as much as possible because it is more accurate. It's not just one algorithm and it's definitely bigger than just algorithms in general. It's a search and discovery system. It's neural networks and it's some self-learning stuff. So all that to say is, yeah, what they're trying to do is figure out here's this person who's watching YouTube right now. What video do they want to see and when, right? So it's to service the right video to the right person at the right time. So I think the thing that stands out to me about that, and that's directly from YouTube. I didn't make up that statement or anything. I just took that straight from them. That's how they describe it. And so I think what is interesting to me is that statement is not video focused. It is actually viewer focused, Mm. right? It's focused on what does the viewer want? What are they looking for? And when do they want to see this content? We sometimes as creators think the job of the search and discovery systems is to find viewers for my videos, but it's actually the opposite, right? That's not what YouTube's trying to do is find which time viewers for your videos. That's a video centric perspective. It's a viewer centric perspective is what videos does this person want to watch? And if your videos aren't being surfaced to people, then YouTube figured out like, we haven't figured out who really wants to watch this video yet. And so we haven't surfaced it to anyone. And that could be due to some other things that, you know, I'll tell the scope of your question, but I think it's important for us as creators to understand that like in order to perform well on YouTube, our focus should be on the viewer. Number one, who am I going after? And how clear of an idea do I have of who my target audience is? My most ideal subscriber that when this person finds me, they're gonna be like, Viper, this is awesome. Where have you been my whole life? I've been looking exactly for this channel, (laughs) right? How do we invoke that type of reaction for people when they first discover us and so that they go and watch another video and another video and another video because like our video is exactly what they need as opposed to like, oh, I have a good idea. That's a fun video idea in my topic or those are some keywords I haven't done yet. Like maybe I'll do the, that's the wrong approach. It's like, who am I going after? What problems do they have? What challenges are they experiencing? Why are they on YouTube? What kind of material they're looking for? What really serves them well? How do I make the best content that I can make that accomplishes those things and make it all viewer centric? So got a little preachy there, but there you go. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate the input because a lot of times I feel like a lot of creators, when they're putting content on the platform, they're only thinking about themselves and how it benefits them and how it makes them feel. Right. When in yeah. actuality, Tim, as you know, it's not all about how the viewer feels and the value that the viewer gets out of the content because as a creator, if you're not thinking about the value of the viewer, then your content is probably not going to do very well because right. as it relates to how YouTube disseminates your video, we know it's all about titles, thumbnails, and the actual quality of the content itself. A lot of people will be like, oh, I got a, my title was great, my thumbnail was great, but the video is still not performing very well. Well, maybe there's something in the content. Did you deliver on a click? I'm afraid that we use a lot here at vidIQ. Did you deliver on a click? Which means when I clicked on the video and I began to watch it, is it what was promised to me in the title and thumbnail? And sometimes creators, not going to name no names, but sometimes some of y'all out here are delivering different content 
from what you promised in the title and thumbnail, and then you wonder why your video doesn't perform. Because it's not just about your title and thumbnail being good, it's about how long a viewer is watching your video, which I think is another part of how the algorithm or YouTube works, right, Tim? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, watch time is, is huge. And all the signals that YouTube is looking at, I mean, watch time is huge, but the way YouTube positions videos on YouTube, I almost said rank, but I, I don't think he's doing the word ranks because literally every homepage is different for every person. Every time you refresh the homepage, it's different for every person. Yep. Search results are so personalized now that based on your viewing history, based on your search history, based on channels you're subscribed to, like there's no such thing as really ranking number one anymore. So it's all based on viewer signals of how YouTube positions videos. So they're looking at viewer signals like how long do people spend watching this video? The assumption being that the longer people spend watching it, the more valuable this video must be compared to someone else's video who uses the exact same metadata, maybe even the same title, the same thumbnail, same description and everything. But the content is different. YouTube's like looking at that content being like people watch this one longer, must be more valuable. But they're also looking at other metrics like how likely is someone to come back to YouTube after watching this video tomorrow? or next week. How does this video contribute to the overall viewing session? Do they stay on YouTube during this viewing session for three more minutes after the, watching this video or 30 more minutes after watching this video? Uh, how satisfied? Now they're trying to measure the viewer's emotion with these satisfaction surveys that pop up on the mm -hmm. home feed. Like how satisfied are you with this content? And, and they're collecting millions of those surveys every single day and getting really good at predicting not just will this hold someone's attention, but how will this make them feel about their experience on YouTube as a platform? So all sorts of signals are going into it. So one of the things I say in my talks too, is that if you really want to dominate on YouTube, you have to optimize for people, not for robots. You have to optimize your content for the viewer and their experience and the value they're hoping to consume right now, not for some algorithms that are like the way your videos, how well they perform is not up to an algorithm as much as it is up to how viewers respond to your content when they see it. So are people skipping over the title and thumbnail? You get some impressions on that sucker, but like no one, the click-through rate's really low. You know, well, YouTube gave it a shot and no one's clicking on it and YouTube's collected the data, which is people don't click on this or vice versa, right? So I think they said they're collecting thousands of signals, but they haven't told us, they haven't given us a list of what all of them are, but it's very sophisticated. So, but the end result is just optimized for people, not for robots. And I've heard this time and time again, and it makes sense because while creators think about an algorithm and how it really putting their videos out, in actuality, YouTube is just responding to how viewers respond to your content. Like you said, Tim, yeah. if the viewers don't stick around for the entirety of your video, then YouTube may stop pushing that video out because it sees that people are not interested in watching that video. So watch mm -hmm. time goes into it, click through rate and all that other stuff. But the algorithm, as you all understand it, literally, it's just a measurement of human behavior. And I've said it before. All it's doing is responding to how real human beings are responding to your video and how wh what they're doing after your video. Like Tim said, are they staying on YouTube longer? Are they watching another one of your videos? Are they watching the entire video or only a minute of the video? The algorithm is taking all this data into consideration, and that is how it decides whether or not to push your video out to more people. So it literally depends on how real, living, breathing people are reacting to your content. It's not about a robot. It's about people. If you can make content that appeals to people, you will do fine. If you can't, then you got things to work on. That's right. Yeah, well said. That's a good summary of it right there. This episode of Tube Talk is brought to you by the vidIQ mobile app. You can download it for free on the Android or iOS app stores. And it's here to help you do things like keep track of your competition, research your next video idea, optimize videos you've already posted, and more, all on the go. 
This is the perfect app to have literally in your back pocket while you're out and about and you find yourself with a few free extra minutes. Having the opportunity to sit down and optimize your latest video or research ideas for your upcoming video can be a game changer and save you a bunch of time as you work to create more YouTube content. Again, you can download the vidIQ mobile app for free on Android or iOS. Just search for vidIQ. I'm gonna put you on the spot real quick because we yeah. talk about title and thumbnail a lot and you can't say both. So you, you, you automatically cannot say both, Tim. So the question <laughs> becomes, in your opinion, Tim, and you can't say both, which one is more important? Would you say title is more important, Tim, or is the thumbnail more important on YouTube? Um, gotta make them think, y'all. Gotta make them quit. <laughs> I guess I'd say thumbnail. And the reason I say thumbnail is like you could technically put the title of the video in the thumbnail, but you can't put the thumbnail in the title, right? That's true. So you could do that. I'm not saying I recommend that. Yeah, don't do but, that. No. But if you had to, and they took titles away, and I guess another argument for that would be I don't know if there's any study. Maybe you know if there's some studies behind this. As far as I'm aware, there's not a study, but I think that when people are, you know, just scrolling through YouTube, just browsing what's on their home feed or something, it's the thumbnail that catches the attention and then the title they read second, as opposed to reading titles and then looking at the thumbnail. Do you think that assumption's true? Like, or yeah. probably not? I mean, I just open up my phone and the first thing I'm seeing is thumbnail. So I would definitely say the thumbnail is the one that catches your eye first. Yeah. But a thumbnail, this is why you need both though. <laughs> yeah. The thumbnail creates the intrigue. And now the headline, you know, marketing advertising terms, that title is what then provides the, like the additional context to know, oh, it gives meaning to the image. It helps you understand what, what are you actually looking at here? What are you seeing? Right. So you need, you, you need both to create decent intrigue, but you could do it just with thumbs. So that's my answer. Now, it's interesting that you said the thumbnail, and I would agree that the thumbnail is more important because I feel like creators in general spend more time on titling their videos than actually working on the thumbnail, especially newer creators. Like, I feel like a lot of newer creators don't spend the appropriate amount of time crafting a thumbnail. Um, I don't know if, that, if you feel that oh, way yeah. in your well, experience. But. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like when we worked with uh, you know, our agency of video creators, when we work with some of the top talent on YouTube, it's not uncommon for them to spend... Depends on how often they're they're publishing, but if they're if they're doing weekly content, it's not uncommon for them to have a quarterly production meeting where all they're doing is brainstorming titles and thumbnails ideas. And, and they only they might have a great video idea, but they won't bother to go make that video idea if they can't first come up with a good title and thumbnail for it that would actually get people to click and watch. Because even though the content's great, like if no one's enticed to click on it, no one's gonna watch it. Right. So right. They brainstorm title thumbnail ideas for like a day or two before they decide, all right, these are the ones we're going to make. And then the next question after that is, all right, well, what are the opening seconds need to be? If this is the title and the thumbnail someone saw, this is the expectation it created, this is the intrigue or the curiosity that it sparked, then what would create more curiosity and create more intrigue in the opening seconds that would hook their attention and, and hold it? There used to be that the recommendation was to basically repeat the title in the opening second so that people would feel like, oh, I'm in the right place. But that just, if you look at your audience retention graph, that predictably leads to abandonment. So instead, these top creators are using their title thumbnail as their opening hook, basically. And then boom, right into the story. Even like Mr. Beast, you see, you see like if he has an idea that he can't explain in like two seconds or less, 
and then get right into the content. And he doesn't bother to do it. If it takes too long to explain the idea, even if it's a really good idea, he'll just lose people. They won't watch and then he won't get the watch time he needs. So, but yeah, putting out title and thumbnail before you hit record is really the only way that you can then craft the opening seconds to play off of the title and thumbnail to sufficiently hook someone's attention. Absolutely. Again, it's all about delivering on the click. If you can't deliver on the click, uh, your video is probably not going to go very far. So uh, excellent insight. Appreciate you as usual. So I would be remiss if having you here and not talking about the rise of artificial intelligence practically everywhere, but especially in the creative space. And you know, at VidIQ, we are definitely big on AI. Actually, Tim, as you know, we just kind of launched a new AI tool. I think it's called the uh, the AI content generator tool where our AI, if you type in a video idea, it will literally generate the description. It will generate a script for the video. It will generate thumbnail for the video. <laughs> and even an AI voiceover, which is wild. So this tool does all of it for you based off whatever video idea that you put into the search bar or whatever. What are your thoughts about the rise of AR, especially as it relates to the content creator space tip? Yeah, uh, this is a big, big topic. Uh, yeah. One, let's just agree that this is all very new. Yeah. And then two, we can agree that this is moving very rapidly. And so a combination of those two things means there's a lot of I don't knows where we will have to wait and see. And there's a lot of speculation about what this is going to look like as it settles down. Right. But a few things I think we can maybe take away right now is one, AI can be very instrumental in helping creators make better content in terms of quickly accessing content and ideas they didn't already have access to, you know, in terms of asking for video ideas and asking for title ideas, or here's my video idea. What would be, give me a good title thumbnail recommendations for this. Or it's just kind of like that. Like you have an always on person, you can just sit down and basically like, let's hash this out together. Right. And that's really, that's really valuable from an information perspective. One thing that I'm, I don't know if skeptical is the right word, but unsure about from an AI perspective is how well, if at all, it will be able to genuinely and authentically be able to help creators through the emotional journey of being a creator in terms of uh, support and feeling frustrated and nervousness about posting their first video or feeling deflated when they get those negative comments. Like, can an AI talk someone out of that, those types of situations? Feeling excited when you get your first brand deal, uh, the paid brand deal. Like, I, I think those things we're still going to naturally want to run to another person to celebrate with or to confide in. I think we're still want the human interaction for that type of stuff. So I do think for what we're doing at vidIQ, human coaching is still an important aspect of helping creators and becoming the coach for every creator. But I think AI can certainly supplement a lot of those, a lot of the things that you probably just need a person for. So I think both, I, I think the merging of these two is where we're going at vidIQ. We're thinking, you know, AI can do some things really well and allows us to really scale some of the human potential side of human coaching too. And so how do we merge these things together in a, in a thoughtful way that really helps unlock a lot of things for creators and how they grow their channels, their videos, and their business? So yeah, I don't know. Just preliminary thoughts, I guess, off the top of my head. Yeah, and I think that's the big thing about AI. Obviously, it can help you get a lot done that you normally probably couldn't get done by yourself just because of how fast computers can work in, and in that regard. Mm -hmm. But as you alluded to, AI does not have the human element. It doesn't have the compassion. It doesn't understand nuance. It might not even understand context to a degree. 
So there's still a lot of things that AI lack that human beings understand and need, you know, to go out there and perform in the world. I don't know if you watched the recent video that Casey Neistat did, Tim, where he oh, had... Yeah, I haven't watched it yet. I need yeah, to watch but, it. Uh, so Casey Neistat just put out a video, I think a couple of days ago, where he had an AI script his entire video. And that's literally how he shot the video. And, and what he said in the video, the dialogue was AI driven. The shots that were in the video were AI driven. And it was just a train wreck. <laughs> it was so hilarious. But, because but in their do, defense, this is the early days of AI, though, too. So could it get better? That's what I don't yeah, know. I mean, obviously, it'll get better. But as somebody who watched Katie Knight's that content in the past and then seeing what AI suggested for him, oh, my. <laughs> I think he said it had no soul. He said it had no humanity in it. And uh, yeah, that was basically a good, uh, good description of how that video went. Yeah. It, it was definitely missing human elements of it. And it, and it could tell. And that's where we're at with AI right now. The human element, the humanity is just not there. So while, yes, it could be a useful tool for creators to be more productive, I don't know if you can 100% rely on AI as a creator. You still have to input your personality into the content that you're doing. Otherwise, it's not going to be the same. It's not going to be the output that you think it's going to be. But do you think that eventually, maybe one day, like... Remember, the, you know, the Pixar movie Wally, mm-hmm. where the, the little white robot like expresses emotion at the end. And you're like, oh, I wonder if that's genuine emotion or not. It's a robot. I mean, will we get there? I don't know. That's for smarter people than me. But that's why I say right now where we're at is it's developing rapidly in terms of human emotion and connection. I don't really know where, know where it goes. But right now, it's an amazing tool for ideas and accessing information and writing scripts and even emails for you. Yep. <laughs> and like earlier today, I was writing some questions for someone else on our team to do to use when they do some interviews. And I'm like, let me just see what ChatGPT says. And I'm like, give me 10 questions I should ask someone interviewing them about a job to be a YouTube creator coach to like qualify them for this job. I already had in my mind kind of what I wanted to ask, but I asked ChatGPT just to see what it would say. And one of the questions out of the 10, I was like, ooh, that's a good one. I did not think about that one. Like, oh, so I took it and I tweaked it a little bit and then added it to the list. I was like, good. Like it picked up a blind spot I had and filled it in. So I think it certainly helps us do better work. But I agree right now there's no soul there to really make the emotional connection. And that's the thing. I think people connect to people, right? We don't connect to brands. We don't connect to inanimate objects like fire hydrants or even cameras. Like we connect to people. And if you know something is just impersonating a person, I suppose you could do that. People fall in love with their video game characters and their you know, ORPG type of characters and things. But I don't think we typically look at that as being a good thing. You know, so will that change with the stigma around that change as this develops? Maybe. I don't know. That's all good questions that I don't know. Yeah. Like you said, I think we're still in early days as it relates to AI, but there's a lot of exciting opportunities there. And uh, people out there would say that uh, if you're a creator and you have not even like experimented or tested out AI, then you probably might want to start doing that because, again, it can make you a little bit more productive than you are currently. And AI is not going away. I mean, it's been here for a while, but it's really here now and it's not going anywhere. It is changing entire industry every single day. So as creators, you might want to uh, look into AI more if you're not already because it's not going away. And if you're not using AI as a creator, you better believe there are other creators that are already using it to better their content. They're going to have a level up on you because they're using AI and you're not. So uh, don't sleep on it. Uh, Just uh, do a little work with it. Do a little bit of experimentation with it and see what it can do for you. Kind of like YouTube short. (laughs) 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just another tool in our belt to poke at and, and use. And yeah, I, I, have you had an experience with it in terms of storytelling? I know it's good for information, but for like entertainment type of channels, do you have any ideas how, about how, look at me, now I'm interviewing you. I'm curious what you think, because I was just thinking about this now. How does AI impact those types of creators? I mean, it could probably help them come up with an idea for story, but as far as storytelling, I mean, I don't know, but my thought precedent would be that it probably wouldn't be the best storyteller because as a storyteller, that involves human experiences and experiences as only human beings can understand them. That's why they make for a great story because you can add that human element into them and trying to get an artificial intelligence to emulate something that it cannot possibly understand as far as telling a, a human story. I don't think that's going to be a good use of the AI, but you can definitely get it to generate some ideas for you for a story or places to go for a story, but telling the actual story, I don't know if that's AI strength. I could be wrong, but I don't think that could be the strength I, of I'm trying AI. it right now. I just like, tell me a story I can use on my YouTube channel about how to merge family and business together in a healthy way. I have a personal podcast where I talk about uh, business and family and keeping family a priority while running, growing a business. And it gave me... I'm looking at, I'm skimming it now. It's a decent story. It's about a family who ran a small bakery in their community. And it kind of missed the whole point of what I was asking for. <laughs> but I think <laughs> some better, some better prompts. This is the last sentence uh, of the last paragraph. In conclusion, which you always, you know, that's a good, uh, that's a, yeah, yeah, so human right to stand in, in conclusion, conclusion <laughs> merging family and business can be a challenging endeavor, but it is possible to do it in a healthy way. Clear communication, open and honest conversations. And a commitment to working together can help create a positive, successful family business. You know, and that's kind of the vibe I get from most of these things. It's like, a, yeah, like it's just like a surface level, of course. It's a super safe conclusion and that no one can really argue against. But like, I'm looking for something meatier. I want something that's deeper and like insights that aren't obvious and are maybe a little counterintuitive sometimes. And that makes me think. It makes me wrestle with some things that I currently believe. Like that, that's the type of content I really look for. And so far, AI seems pretty far on like the safe side. No one can argue with this type of story type of thing, you know? So I, like I said, I think it's good for ideas. We'll, we'll see what the future holds. I, I'm sure it'll get better and better over time. Indeed. So I kind of unintentionally perfectly segued into another topic that we could talk about a minute or oh. so ago. Like that you. being YouTube short. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> that was not planned, but it just happened. I just, I just was thinking about it, and here we go. I'm curious to get your thoughts on YouTube shorts and where you and your thoughts about how popular they are right now and what the future might hold for your short form content. Uh, I mean, it's exploding. So I don't I don't know that I have anything to say about it that you don't already know, but it's yeah, growing really fast. It's been a great way for a lot of creators to get exposure to a different style of content. Long form isn't everybody's cup of tea, everyone's jam. I don't know if the right analogy is there, but it's not for everyone. And shorts has been, yeah, a great way. I think, you know, it's paved by Vine and the path was paved by uh, Mixer. Is that their own those before that and things? All of which kind of fell flat, not fell flat. They ran out of funding or just you know, fell apart for other reasons. But yeah, I think this, it's a great way for creators to get exposed to new people and new audiences. And the interesting thing about it on YouTube is that YouTube is currently working very hard to try to integrate all the different style formats that they're hosting, yeah. which would be long form content. It would be shorts. It would be live streams and audio first podcast content. Yeah. 
and they ha- they bombed on this when they first launched shorts and now people had to like separate shorts from long and different channels and the algorithm so confused and to their own admission, they're like, yeah, we, we confused the heck out of it, but we're merging those things to get back together again now so that shorts and on demand content and live streams and podcasts can all live on one channel and not interfere with the other. And even more importantly, cross promote people who are just engaging with the shorts of a creator, start introducing them to some of their long form content or some of their live streams or some of their podcasts. So I think it's, it could be a way to, to quickly get the attention of a, of a new audience and then let YouTube do its job in surfacing the right video to the right person at the right time and surfacing some of the other format of content. So I think you can be a shorts only creator, but I think there's opportunities here if you're not already a shorts only creator to add shorts to your lineup and your content strategy in order to supplement and bring in other other viewers. That said, it's been my experience that people who come in through shorts aren't always the most valuable new subscribers or viewers from a business perspective, from a brand perspective. They're uh, the snacky type of viewers who are kind of just found you because they're swiping up a lot, stumbled across the video, liked it, subscribed because it was like a like plus type of thing. And then they forgot about you three minutes later. So uh, as opposed to someone who clicks on your video, chooses to click on it out of a menu of other options and then stays engaged for a few minutes, that tends to be a more engaged subscriber going on in the future. Looking, um, But it's still, though, it's a great way to get new exposure, just a numbers game at that point. Um, you get a lot of good traffic from shorts. So that's what I think. Yeah, I've been saying it over and over again that with how hard YouTube is pushing short form content on the platform, if you want to accelerate your growth as a YouTube creator, especially a new creator, you should definitely be experimenting with YouTube shorts. And if you're not, then you are missing out an opportunity. And a lot of creators, you know, they don't want to do short because they, they don't know how or they feel like it's going to invite in the wrong type of viewer. And again, I'm not saying that you have to become a short form creator, but even if you make long form content primarily, experimenting with YouTube short can get your content to new eyes that your long form content might not be able to get to because of how heavily YouTube is pushing short. So uh, you should be experimenting at the very least. Now, you know, I, again, you don't have to be a short form creator or or transition into only doing short. But at the very minimum, as a creator on YouTube, you should be experimenting with YouTube short. Because if not, then you're just missing an opportunity, in my opinion. Yeah, that's definitely something worth experimenting with. I don't think that everyone needs to be everywhere with all their content at once. So I do think that there's arguments to be made for some creators who are just like, I tried shorts, it wasn't worth my time and energy. Perfect, don't do it. You're doing well with on-demand content or lives or podcasts, just, just hone in on that. But uh, I do think it's worth a couple swings at bat for every creator. Indeed. Tim, before we get out of here, is there anything that you want to bring up that we haven't talked about? Are you working on anything special that you want to let the people know about or what's going on in Tim's world? Yeah, a bit, a bit IQ. It's going to be a little bit until this is launched, but we're working really hard on becoming the coach for every creator. And that includes AI coaching that we're really working hard on. I can't talk about everything we're doing there, but I am blown away and thoroughly impressed with not necessarily the results that we're as of today getting, but give it another week or two that the the trajectory, oh my goodness, it's going to be mind blowing what you'll be able to do with an AI YouTube coach. It's going to be awesome. (laughs) So that, and then we're also gearing up for a human side of coaching too, for people who want to supplement the AI coach with an actual person who you can talk to and go back and forth with about uh, challenges you're facing and content and ideas and things like that. We're putting together a a human coaching program that will be very accessible at a really good price point that will also serve creators really, really well. And so that that should launch here in the next uh, few months or so. So um, 
if that's of interest to you, I don't know, where, where should people keep their eyes out? Keep their eyes open at vidIQ.com, I suppose, or emails if you're not signed up for the email list, or if you're already a user, we'll have it as banners inside the app and things too, I'm sure. But that's a big endeavor we're undertaking, but I just can't. We did a little pilot already of human coaching back in March with about 147 creators. And the average rating we got back, it was 4.7 out of five. Wow. So people just loved it. And 86%, I think people said like, I want to keep going. Like, don't stop. I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. We got to stop now. We got to kind of take a whole bunch of lessons we just learned from this experiment (laughs) and get ready to launch the full thing. But yeah, it was it was very successful. People loved it. So I'm, I'm looking forward to making that one day accessible to any creator who wants a coach. So it'll be awesome. Exciting time to head at a bit IQ here. Tim Schmoyer, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast, my man. Thank you for making the time. Definitely appreciate you. Thanks for having me. And I appreciate you guys for listening to another episode of Tube Talk. If you are not a vidIQ customer, you should definitely check us out. vidIQ.com slash podcast. Check us out of that. We'll take you to a place where you can sign up to use vidIQ. We have a full suite of browser tools that you can use to analyze and help grow your YouTube channel. If you're not a vidIQ customer already, definitely go check out our suite of tools, which does include some AI tools in there. Uh, One of the ones I mentioned earlier, the AI content generator would be available to you as well. So definitely check us out at vidIQ.com slash podcast. That information will be in the show notes. And I will be back next week with another episode of Tube Talk presented by vidIQ. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Tube Talk brought to you by vidIQ. Head over to vidIQ.com slash Tube Talk for today's show notes and previous episodes. Enjoy the rest of your video making day.